right. Well, we are going to be continuing our series, God Used Who. And to me, this is like, this is the series for me. Because I, every time I stand up, whether it's at this campus or, or the South campus down there, North Forsyth, like, I am floored that God would use someone as jacked up as I am. Like, if you look around ever thought that you're underqualified for something, like, that's me right now in this moment. I can't believe that they would give me a microphone. Um, I, I'm not qualified, but this series is kind of painting a picture that God doesn't necessarily call qualified people. He qualifies people who he calls. And, and as we kind of go through this series, as we dive into God's word today, you may be staring some big opportunity in the face. And you may be thinking, this is too big for me. God must be thinking of somebody else. Surely he's got the address wrong here. We need to send this to somebody else. Today's message is for you. If you've ever felt overwhelmed by an assignment that maybe God has given you, take some notes today because I'm gonna share with you from personal experience and more importantly from God's word how God loves to use an underdog. Before we dive in, I want to ask you guys if you remember something. Something that used to be a part of all of our lives back in the day. The old place where you would actually go and see movies on walls, video games on the walls. It was called Blockbuster. Remember the days of Blockbuster? It's been gone for a few years now. Well, Blockbuster was like the 800-pound gorilla in the video rental industry. There was a couple other ones. Like in my town, there was a smaller one called Movie Gallery. I don't know if they had that here. But a few years ago, this small startup tech company got introduced on the scene. By a few years ago, I mean like 15 years ago, back when I was in high school, and it was called Netflix. And all Netflix was when it first started was like a mail-in system where you get DVDs sent to you. And that was back in the day where not even a lot of people had DVD players yet. So they're major early adopters, and they were starting to make a little bit of a teeny dent in the video rental industry. Well, an opportunity came up for Blockbuster to buy, uh, to buy Netflix for like $50 million. And you got to think, Blockbuster, a company that's worth billions with a B, like billions and billions and billions of dollars, $50 million may sound like a lot to you and I, but to Blockbuster at the time, they could have sneezed and forgotten where $50 million would have gone. But they turned up, they said, who needs that? They're just going to be here today, gone tomorrow. It's just another flash in the pan. There's always something new coming out of the tech industry. Well, sure enough, Blockbuster continues to grow and grow and grow. Not only do they grow in revenue and support, but they grow in customer base. And eventually, combined with the power of the Redbox, Netflix and Redbox puts Blockbuster out of business. And there's something inside of us that loves those kind of stories because we all know what it feels like to be the underdog. We all know what it feels like to be standing there at PE class when you're a kid and then you got two captains chosen out of the class and they, I'll take Johnny, I'll take Susie, I'll take Bobby. And you're the last one picked. We all know that story. We love a good underdog story. That's why stories like Lord of the Rings or like 18 Academy Awards is not just because of special effects. It's because we see ourselves in Frodo. There's a little hobbit inside all of our hearts and minds where we know, man, maybe one day something special could happen to me because we don't see ourselves as special. We've got doubts, we've got insecurities, we've got things that we think disqualify us. But as we go through this series, God Used Who? We're gonna realize that God loves an underdog story. So if you have your Bible, open up to John chapter 20. We're gonna look at 
what I think is one of the greatest underdog stories around. We're centering in on someone named Thomas. You may have heard to him referred as Doubting Thomas, the one who couldn't believe it unless he saw it. He had doubts that Jesus was who he said he was and would do what he said he would do. What we're going to pick up is right at the end of the book of John. The book of John is in the New Testament, and this is one of the four like biographies of the life of Jesus. And so this is written from the perspective of John, who is the youngest of all 12 of the disciples, the original crowd, the original crew that Jesus recruited to follow him. And we're looking in kind of at the, the last mention of, John, of, of Thomas in the gospel accounts. Jesus had just died on the cross and rose from the grave three days later. And, uh, and so during this time, they, Jesus started appearing to his disciples all over the place throughout the next week. And, and Thomas was never there when Jesus was there. And so Thomas had yet to see the risen Savior, the risen Lord, all the rest of the other 10 disciples. Because by this time, the 12 had become 10 or 11 because Judas had betrayed Jesus and, and he'd hanged himself. And so now it's just the, the 11. And so for some reason, Thomas was out probably picking up bread or something. He was always running errands and the rest of the the disciples were locked up in a room and Jesus kept on appearing to them. And sure enough, in verse 24, this is where we pick up the story. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. And they told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hand, put my fingers in them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. You see, you got to remember, Jesus was nailed to the cross, and then they stabbed him between the ribs with a big spear to make sure he was dead. So Thomas is saying, unless I can touch those scars, I'm not going to believe that Jesus rose from the grave. So Thomas is in this kind of reality where everything I hoped for, the exact opposite happened. We thought Jesus was going to be the king that would help us overthrow the Roman Empire. We thought he was the chosen one, the promised Messiah that the Old Testament prophets were telling us about hundreds of years ago. But here he is. He got tried for crimes he didn't commit. He got whipped. He got beaten. He was crucified. He's dead. The dream is over, guys. This is what Thomas is saying. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Now, you got you to like, take in this moment. Like, this is a small upper room, and they were afraid that the Roman officials were going to hunt down the followers of Jesus. So they were in a tiny room in this, like, basically kind of like an adobe hut. They were in the upper room. The doors were locked, and all of a sudden, Jesus appears, peace be with you. You know, like, there's a reason that every time Jesus appears out of nowhere and every time an angel appears out of nowhere, they've got to try to comfort everybody because it's freaky when somebody walks through a wall. I don't know the last time that happened to you, but I just get scared if my wife walks by the bathroom mirror when I'm brushing my teeth and I didn't know she was there. Like, I'm easily spooked. And if I would have been here in this moment when Jesus appears in the middle of the room, I would have had to change my underwear. I don't know if they wore underwear back then. I'm not really sure what the dress code was. But anyways, he says, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here in my hands and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. And then Jesus told him, 
You believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. You see, Jesus was actually talking about those who would come later. He was talking about you and I. You see, we wake up on Sundays and go to life groups or serve on a serve Saturday because of this Jesus that we've never like physically seen before. And, and, and Jesus was saying, Thomas, you know, your faith was contingent upon your ability to see and touch. But there's a whole generation of people that will follow in your footsteps that will follow me simply based on their belief and their conviction and the testimony of others. And, and so I want us to put ourselves there in Thomas's shoes. And I think Thomas gets a little bit of a bad reputation. You know, Thomas is known as Doubting Thomas or the, the doubter because it, here it is eight days later after Jesus is rose from the grave and he still can't believe. All of his friends believe, but all of his friends have seen. And so maybe I think we've mislabeled Thomas. Maybe Thomas isn't Doubting Thomas, but Conditional Faith Thomas. Now, now that is something that we can relate with. Okay, God, I will start doing this if you can do that. Okay, God, I will stop doing these bad things if you promise to start doing these good things. God, I will throw a little extra money in the offering <laughs> I will start showing up to church a little bit more. I'll read a few more chapters a week. I'll pray more often if this, and let me just tell you, if, if, if your faith looks like this, this negotiation, this transaction, then you might be in the same shoes of doubting Thomas, conditional faith Thomas. But what we see here is Jesus doesn't look at Thomas and say, get your act together, bro. No, no, Thomas, his doubt is accommodated in the presence of Jesus. Because here's, here's what I think Jesus knows about doubt. You see, you don't really necessarily doubt things you're, you're skeptical in. That's called cynicism. You see, this wasn't cynical, Thomas. He didn't have all these ulterior motives. He didn't have a bad attitude. Thomas was heartbroken. What no one remembers about the story of Thomas is a few chapters back when one of their friends died, a guy named Lazarus, who's a good friend of Jesus in the 12, all the other disciples were saying, Jesus, you shouldn't go there because if you go there, they're going to try and kill you. It's a trap, Jesus. And Thomas is the only one that says, no, let's go with him. If he's gonna die, we're gonna die with him. So I don't think Thomas's doubt is coming from a place of skepticism. I don't think Thomas's doubt is coming from a place of cynicism, of anger. I think Thomas's doubt comes from disappointment. I think Thomas's doubt comes from all of his hopes being let down. I believe Thomas's doubt is actually evidence of his like devotion to what he thought was the call of God in his life. And maybe some of you had this moment at a, at a VBS a long time ago or at a summer camp as a kid where you're like, yes, Lord, I believe. And then the real world happened. 
having to climb that corporate ladder. And, and all of a sudden, what you thought Christianity was going to be, what you thought the promises of God were going to look like, doesn't really match the inventory of your life right now. Like you've read these Bible verses that sound really good on Christian t-shirts that Jesus came to give us life and give it to us more abundantly. But how come there's more month than money? And then why did my, my husband leave me? And slowly but surely our, our, our belief, our relationship with Jesus became more of a religion. Because notice what happened here. Thomas kept showing up. Thomas kept showing up to the upper room where everybody else had seen Jesus. But he hadn't had his encounter with Jesus. And I don't know if that may be what church is for you today. You just keep showing up. God's been real for everybody else. Hasn't really come through for me just yet. I'm almost done with this. And just maybe today there's a word that could be sent to your heart where Jesus says, man, just keep showing up. Drop all your preconceived notions. I'm okay with your doubts. I'm okay with your hesitations. I'm okay with the fact that you're kind of tentative about this Christianity. I'm okay with the fact that you're not fully following me. Just keep showing up. Wait for your moment because God wants to reveal himself to you in a big way. So how do we overcome those doubts? How do we overcome our fears? How do we begin to remove the conditions and the negotiations from our faith? If this, then that, God. Well, I think, first of all, we have to get real about our doubt. First of all, we have to understand what doubt really is. And if you're doubting yourself, if you're doubting your faith, if you're doubting your resources, if you're doubting your abilities, just know this. Doubting yourself is just a disguise for doubting your God. Because guess what? If God has called you, he will equip you. If God has assigned you something, he will give you the tool belt and the resources you need to accomplish the assignment. So when we have doubts, it's not really a commentary on ourselves. It's not really a commentary on our circumstances. It's more of a commentary on what we believe God is capable of. Because God is going to do it in and through you. All you need to do is show up with open hands, an open heart, an open mind, and a yes. Yes, Lord. I don't get it. I don't even know if it's going to work. But okay, here we go, God. That's how we begin to move from, from doubt to devotion. That's how we begin to say, man, maybe God could use someone like me with the baggage, with the fears, with the doubts, with the frustrations. I'm a little bit jaded on this Christianity thing. I've seen a little bit too much of the Bible Belt religion and not enough of this relationship, abundant life that Jesus promises. Well, if that's you, I wanna give you just a, a few simple ways to begin to build confidence in your walk with the Lord, to build, build confidence in who Jesus is and, and, and what he can do in your life. You see, the, the, the only way to build confidence in yourself is to build confidence in your God. You see, this Christianity thing is not about what we have to bring to the table. Because guess what? None of these 12 disciples that followed Jesus were educated, were trained, or were qualified, but they were the pillars on the only movement, the only institution in humankind that is rolling strong 2,000 years later. 
You know, even people that knew these guys would say, who are these uneducated men? And the only explanation they had for these original church leaders, Doubting Thomas, the angry James and John, like all these people that were underqualified fishermen and tax collectors was that they looked at this and said, they're uneducated, they're untrained, they must have been with Jesus. It's the only way you build confidence in yourself is to build confidence in your God. Keep showing up. Be at the right place. Surround yourselves with the right kind of people. Just keep showing up. God can handle your doubts. Because here's how I choose to interpret doubts. I've got doubts and things because there's a small part of me on the other side of my heart that wants to see it happen. And isn't that the great tug of war that we exist within? Between our spirit that wants to have that childlike faith that says, yes, God, anything's possible. But then our human side, the realist side, that where, where, where we've maybe been kicked a little bit too much, we've been beat up by having to pay mortgages and pay down credit card debt and navigate through divorce and navigate through unemployment. We're like, yes, that, that's possible for people like Billy Graham. Like that, that's possible for, for those type of people that God could use, like those modern day prophets, those men and women of God. But, but here's me, here's little old me. And if you look through scripture, God's in the business of beauty using ordinary, everyday people, people that are overlooked by society that God says, hey, everyone else has demoted you, but if I can have your heart, if I can have your willingness, I don't need your ability, I don't need your talent, I don't need your resume, God says, I just need your heart, then I can promote you when everybody else wants to demote you. So we build confidence in ourselves by building confidence in our God. We continue to show up around the people of God that are willing to tell us what we want to hear, not just what, I mean, tell us what we need to hear, not just what we want to hear. Notice the 12 disciples kept saying, man, Jesus was here. You just missed him, Thomas. You got to come back. And then finally, I think we've got to place ourselves in, in, in positions where only God can get the credit if our dreams come true. I, I'll say this to you. If your vision for your life, if the dreams, if the goals that you've set are things that you can attain with your own skill, with your own bank account, with your own networking abilities, you set your bar way too low. See, God wants to do things in and through his people that only he can get credit for because we're aiming so high. We got such great ambitions to change this world and to point people toward Jesus that everyone's gonna look at us and say, hey, unless God comes through, you are going to fail. And it's like, I know, right? It's amazing. It's a little scary, kind of like driving with your eyes closed. But if we are walking with the Spirit, he's the one that's guiding us. That's why the book of 2 Corinthians says we, we live by faith and not by sight. And here's what's scary and intimidating about our faith is that everything God did, miraculous and momentous and powerful, splitting a sea with a staff of a shepherd, using people like Rahab, who was a prostitute, to welcome in God's chosen people to start taking their promised land, who would eventually become the great-grandmother of King David, who was a murderer and an adulterer, but because of his response to his sin, not the absence of his sin, was labeled the man after God's own heart. The only person we see in all of scripture that was accounted for screwing up all 10 of the 10 commandments. 
because of the response to his sin, God established his lineage, his house, to where even Jesus would come into his family one day. So if God can use them, what is your excuse? See, too often we think, okay, well, maybe I'm feeling God tell me to do something. Maybe it's a mission trip, or maybe it's foster care, or maybe it's simply doing something you'll never get credit for, like paying for the coffee of somebody in the line behind you. Whatever it is that you're sensing the Holy Spirit nudge it to you, don't, don't assume that's meant for somebody else. I, here, here's an example of where it's okay to assume that, that, there, that this opportunity is for somebody else. You're probably used to getting credit card offers in the mail, right? You probably get MasterCard. You've approved for a couple of thousand dollars here, a couple of thousand dollars there. You're pre-approved for this. You're pre-approved for that. All kinds of points here, all kinds of points there. But you may have heard of a special kind of credit card called the MX Black. Now, if you got a pre-approval notice, I don't know like what your net worth is, but if this preacher gets the pre-approval for MX Black, I'm going to think, surely you meant somebody else. Because here's some of the prerequisites to get approved for the Amex Black. You've got to be able to have spent and paid for $250,000 worth of stuff on another credit card in one year, not in your lifetime, in one year. I don't know what I would, what, what would I do in one year with that kind of money? You have to have a certain amount of millions in liquid assets. And you have to have uh, just a, a small, convenient $7,500 fee, membership fee for the year. I don't even think my car's worth $7,500. And then there's a few perks that come along with an Amex Black. If you're a card carrier, you get a dedicated travel agent for anywhere you go and a free companion for anywhere you want to fly. You have one free night at any five-star hotel in the entire world, and then out of the top 1,000 restaurants in the world, at any given moment, you have your own table reserved. Now, if that were to come in my mail, I'd be like, whoa, you guys need to send it to somebody else. I'm not qualified. But such bigger opportunities are being mailed to you daily. Not only knowing the Lord better, but helping make him known pointing people toward his grace, his mercy, his second chances, his redemption. And we just get messed up because we've put God in a box that he can only use preachers, that he can only use leaders, that he can only use people who talk real good. Well, if you study God's word and the heritage of the Christian faith, God doesn't normally pick the obvious choice. And if you're like me, you know you're not the obvious choice. I scratch my head all the time like, God, are you sure you want me to do this? Are you, are you, are you sure you want me to pay for that? Like, I don't, I, I've got bills, Jesus, but you want me to help this person out? I don't know that person. Okay, God, you, you want me to invite that person to church? Like, what if they come and they embarrass me? <laughs> you know, like, we can have excuse after excuse that will cause us to miss out on the opportunities of a lifetime because we're too busy thinking that God is looking for someone more qualified, someone more experienced, someone with more eloquent speech. I don't know, maybe you're like Thomas and, and it's not just because of your construct of the way leadership looks and who anointed people and qualified people look like. Maybe you're like Thomas 
and you're just tired of everybody else getting to experience something miraculous, and you're sitting here dealing with loss, with frustration, with disappointment. And if that's you, I want to leave you with a word today. If you're tired of watching everybody else be used by God, get their prayers heard and answered by God, and here you are dealing with the chaos, with the confusion of disappointment, I'm going to read to you a, a quick little story. A man came to Jesus who had a little boy who uh, just this evil spirit would come on him and cause him to do crazy things, and, and no one could help him, no doctor, no priest, no prayer. So he finally says, well, maybe Jesus can do something. And here's the little conversation that takes place between a man and Jesus. The father says, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help if you can. What do you mean, if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. See, I, I'm assuming that many of us today are in this room singing these, these Christian songs, listening to someone talk about the Bible because we believe ultimately God is God. And if I believe in him and confess in my mouth and believe in my heart, that I'll be with him in heaven. But until then, I've just got to kind of hunker down and hope for the best. Saw that person get healed from cancer, but God's not doing anything for my sick mom. I saw their parents reconcile, but here we are. My parents are 10 years into divorce, and Christmas is just as dramatic and stressful as it was 10 years ago. Who do I hang out with? How do I show love to both mom and dad? See, maybe our doubts are present because we once had a devotion and a belief that God is good and following him will be worth it but then fill in the blank happens. The rug gets pulled out from under you. And slowly that devotion begins to fade and manifests itself in the form of, of doubt. And here you are, like the father of this child saying, I know you can do it, God. I just don't know if you will. And I've tried being a better person I've tried being a kind person. I've tried cussing less. I've tried drinking less. I've tried not watching radar movies. I've tried to be the best person possible. I gave three years of my life to you, Jesus, and then you just die and disappear? Come on. That's the kind of faith that a lot of us have walked in these doors with. Conditional faith, a doubtful faith, but maybe it's there because of something that was planted inside your heart a long time ago. And if we could just learn to water that seed, that God is good even when life isn't, that prayers may not change your circumstances, but they may change your heart, that God can not only handle the eternal fears of what's on the other side of death, but he's more than enough to meet our every thirst and our every need and calm our fears and stay our worries here. And now, and just maybe we can begin to unlock a whole new world of possibilities. Keep showing up. 
Dream so big that only God can get credit for it. And not only trust him with the big things, eternity, your salvation, but begin to trust him with the small things that you've got a death grip on. God has never missed a day of work. He's never said, oops. He's never been in a stressful pace of the throne room of heaven saying, well, what am I gonna do with those people down there? I don't know how this happened. I don't know if I've got this one. You, you, you guys got to, you guys got, I've got a lot of things to tend to. You think you can handle this? Okay, I'm going to go deal with hunger in Africa. No, God's not doing that. God is here for you. Yes, he's everywhere at one time, but he wants to know you and guide you and help you and change you and heal you. But most importantly, God has an assignment for you. God has a purpose for you that is bigger than what your ability to see and evaluate is. And he intentionally doesn't give us the destination sometimes. Sometimes he only gives us the next turn. Would you trust him today? Would you say yes to him today? Let's stand to our feet. The band is gonna lead us in one song and let this last song not just be another worship song, but let it be a moment where we recenter ourselves around the idea that for our big God, nothing is impossible and he could use you he wants to use you. And he's got plans for you that will not only change you, but could potentially change your world, your family, your friends, your school, your teams, your workplace. You might be the solution because you said yes to Jesus. Let's pray and prepare our hearts. Jesus, would you just search us today? Would you guide us today? Would you give us courage to trust you more today than we did yesterday? In your name we pray, amen.